0: Let's see, and the clock is spinning, so that means we've started. So everybody, thanks so much for joining us. You're in Enterprise ENT 311-R. The R means this session will be repeated, but this is not the repeat. Um, And then it's called Enterprise DevOps Patterns of Efficiency. Um, My name's Mike Eschew. I'm with the AWS Managed Services team. I lead our customer onboarding and adoption program,
1: and I'm here with Ajit. Welcome, everyone. My name is Ajit Zargaokar. I run the global DevOps practices in AWS Professional Service. As part of my role, I travel around the globe with my teams and help many customers like you. Not too long ago, by the way, I was one of the customers, like very very same like you sitting on the other side of the table, but then decided to learn a lot more fine grained things related to DevOps, so that's why we are here. And, And let's tell you about our agenda.
0: All right. So uh, first of all, like how many people are in some way, shape, or form practicing DevOps today? Like, show, show of hands. Wow. Wow, very nice, very good. Dejeet would be pleased as, as he's, he's driving this, <laughs> um, indeed. Um, and, and so who's heard of enterprise DevOps? Raise your hand. It's kind of a newer term, fair enough, fair enough. Um, who, who's ITIL certified in some way? Got that Alt- ITIL Foundation certification? Okay. You can, I mean, you know, I mean, don't, don't, you might, we'll see. All right. So, so today <laughs> we're here to talk about a, a concept we've been using called Enterprise DevOps. And in order to do that, we're going to, of course, define the term for you. It's a relatively new concept. Um, and then we're going to talk about some of the patterns of efficiency that we've seen in customers going about adopting DevOps at Enterprise, Enterprise DevOps. Um, And then we're super excited that we're joined by two of our customers. Uh, We've got Steve from National Australia Bank, NAB, and Jason from Fidelity, who are gonna be able to talk about their experiences as customers implementing these types of strategies within their business. And we'll tell you a lot more about them when we get to them, they'll get a full introduction. But first of all, there's a great
1: debate. Uh, Well, there is not really debate, but there are more arguments. Is DevOps really for enterprises Uh, Is it really helping, or do we need to go back and do some other version of ITIL or something? So there are lots of arguments on both sides of it. The reality is everyone needs to think DevOps, and DevOps is a mindset. We're not talking about processes. We're not talking about tools. The process is about how do we get more efficient in reaching out to our customers? How do we get more efficient on doing more innovation? How do we reduce our support cost of running a business or our support cost of IT? And those are good arguments on both sides. But let's understand what's underneath it, what's driving it. So no surprises, right? Enterprises need more speed and more agility. And many of them need for different, different reasons. Some want to get ahead of the curve. Some want to reach out to their customers more often. Some are doing it for their existence. Some are doing it for their relevance. But reality is, all of us, I'm counting all of you, we all want speed. We want to reach out to a customer much faster. When we do that, we don't want to fall victim of speed and fall off the cliff and die. And that's where the DevOps comes in. When DevOps, when I'm traveling across and meeting with a number of customers, all of them are interested, like all of you. They want to understand, how does DevOps fit into enterprise scope? what's in there. And all of them have started a journey. Most of them are maturing. Many of them are in the early stages. So they are all over the spectrum. Now, when irrespective of even after doing that, on, only 13% enterprises have fully implemented. This is a survey from last year that Forrester shared. And that tells us something, that there are probably struggles on why the number is so low. Uh, Mike?
0: All right, and so yeah, why, why are they so low? Why aren't, you know, most of the people in this room were practicing DevOps. Is everybody, is everybody who raised their hand in that first part, um, is, is Dev, are you DevOpsing everything you do in your business today? Every single team, every IT team, your ERP system, is that all being DevOps? Raise your hand, right? So few people, right? I mean, that, that is not the majority though. The majority of the room is in some fashion practicing DevOps. So what's getting in the way? What are the challenges on that journey? I'm going to take the first two, legacy applications. I mentioned ERP, existing processes, and those kind of go together, right? Um, One of my favorite stories from last reInvent was when our security manager was in a hotel room, I believe it was over at the Wynn, reviewing the customer who we were working with, their AD policy which I think had been authored somewhere in 2004 or 2005. So it was authored before the cloud happened. One of the requirements of that policy that is all ADs and domain controllers were hosted on bare metal in that customer's data center. And that probably made a lot of sense. Like, I I get it. In 2004, there only was the customer's data center. You had colo or outsourcing. The cloud hadn't come along. And so one of the things that was preventing them from getting to DevOps was an enterprise integrated access management model that could le- deliver those uh, AD controls for elevated privileged access. So that's got to get implemented. We've got to change our policies so that we can move those existing applications, which may be fundamentally dependent on the domain to which the instance is joined. We're talking about some of our older applications, not serverless and so on. But those need to be considered when we're trying to transform our enterprise and get some of the benefits DevOps is going to be able to do. And I always like to answer the question, how do you DevOps a COTS application? Lots of ways. You're always applying fixes going through incident management, putting patches on, changing a configuration, expanding it for the business. So there's reasons you need to iterate on COTS implementations, commercial off the shelf. And then we have compliance, governance, and security. And the other story I'd use with with compliance, governance, and security is is I remember sitting, I was in a customer workshop and working with a a woman, let's call her Carol, Carol Compliance, and, and she was legitimately concerned with the cloud program she was putting in, that we were putting in at this customer, was going to impact the company's ability to be compliant. And she'd worked at the company for 25 years, was very concerned, and, and a lot of emotional attachment to the success of the company, and saw the cloud program as a risk. And so I happened to be sitting next to her, and I was able to turn to her during a break, and talk about some of the ideas of, hey, you know how you you audit your teams once a year? Yeah, sure, sure, and I give them a list of 75 long of all the things they need to fix before the next audit the next year. What if you could audit them systematically every day, and when you identified a compliance violation, you could just flag the team. Just one thing, hey, if you can get this done this week, no big deal, and then the next week, you know, maybe get another one, and eventually the team starts to get annoyed and they just kind of manage compliance and they don't start coming up anymore. So it's just an example of how you can partner with governance, compliance, and security to start thinking about a wider adoption of enterprise DevOps in your business. So there's some myths, and that's what we're going to talk about for the next four slides. Um, Myths about DevOps. Myths from that side of the organization, maybe that ITIL side of the organization, traditional IT side of the organization, of of which many of us might be a part of, um, that... Really DevOps is just stripped down ITIL. What we're gonna do is take ITIL for all its wealth of processes, right? So ITIL's a bunch of books. It's five books if you don't know it. Um, and, and it's a great starting point if you need a process for incident management. They've got a good one in there. So maybe we just say, well, we're gonna do DevOps, and so now the application team is gonna do it, and we won't need governance anymore. Finance doesn't really matter. We won't do incident management anymore. Change management, the devs will just push it. It'll be fine. If they break it, they'll fix it. You know, we've, we've seen the keynotes on that. Um, so, so DevOps is just stripped down to ITIL. Um, DevOps dilutes governance, right? We take all that governance, and I don't know how many times I've heard like the change advisory board uh, meets, but, but once a quarter or once a month, and ITIL is gonna dilute all that governance. Notice there's nothing um, in ITIL that I believe says you need the cab to approve it, it's an advisory board. But if you build that approval process, it's something you, you implemented at your company. ITIL didn't tell you to do that. Um, and, and there's some few more myths.
1: I like Ajij. I like how you waited on ITIL. That's maybe because you have certification. certification? <laughs> <laughs> I've got it. Well, so the next one, this is my favorite one. Uh, a, a lot of time, many of us think DevOps is all about CI, CD. Well, there may be truth to it, that may be at the center of it, but that's not all. There is a lot more to it that makes CI CD successful. It's how do you build in, how do you socialize, how do you repeat, Uh, there are a lot of things that goes in. So if you're looking at DevOps as a CI CD in a very narrow fashion, then don't don't waste your time. There are lots of blogs out there, they'll give you a template and you can create orchestration in two minutes. Uh, But then making orchestration that allows you to have millions of deployments go through on a way that reduces your risk portfolio, then that's an art, and that's what we're talking about. That's a real DevOps. It's not just the speed, but it's also about balancing all of the things that we need. Another one, not my favorite, but it's, uh, I hear a lot of time that, oh, DevOps is not for us. We are enterprise, we are large-scale, uh, and uh, DevOps is only for startups. Again, that may be true, that's where it started, that's where a lot of lessons are learned, But there is no truth to it. Uh, The very reason that we all are here in this room, you all are interested, that talks about how interested we all are into implementing DevOps into our businesses, into how we do engineering. Uh, So uh, let's look into what is enterprise DevOps. That's right. So
0: we've defined these challenges. We've defined these myths. Hopefully, is it resonating? Do you guys find those myths in in your day-to-day journey as you interact with the team, show of hands, like reasonable? That happens right um, for some talk to your talk to your colleague after the presentation and, and sort of understand what some of those myths might be, or, or really what it is right are, are these, these monsters or these concerns that folks that haven 't been brought along on the DevOps journey are throwing up, and I think most of the time those concerns come from a genuine place um, so so what we 're trying to buy, balance or, or what we 'd advocate for is is ITIL and DevOps are sharing a majority of the same values. Business value, like ITIL doesn't say go slow and be expensive. Um, DevOps doesn't say um, have a lot of outages and have the application go down when the team takes a uh, Thanksgiving break. Hopefully nobody had an outage over the last past long weekend. Um, minimal disruption, that's a value both ITIL and DevOps um, would, would value. And then continuous improvement. Of the five books of ITIL, the last one, is um, continuous service improvement. Um, and then, of course, DevOps is about getting better every cycle, every iteration, you know, improving, uh, enabling the people to fix the problem, fix it right away. So if we bring these things together, um, we get enterprise DevOps. You can leverage the best of both worlds. And so out there, there's this idea of, of you know, those myths. DevOps teams are, aren't really, they don't really know how to operate. And that might come from the central IT department. And from the DevOps team, well, Central IT doesn't understand what I'm trying to achieve. Um, they don't understand the agility. They don't understand the business pressers. You know, they don't understand how I need to try out different instance sizes for a month or so, get that data, and then optimize for cost. Um, and, and maybe, frankly, the DevOps teams don't know how to optimize to, for cost, and maybe, or they're not incentivized to do it. Or, or maybe the DevOps teams could learn something from the Central IT team about incident management and change management. And so it's fun working at Amazon. I get to be a part of this cultural debate every day. If I go up to most Amazonians, and I was, uh, had the opportunity to be a product manager for a while at Amazon on, on one of our two pizza teams, a- and I would say, well, you know, we practice world-class ITIL at Amazon. No, we're not. We're, de- we're DevOps. We're full stack. Really? Uh, tell me about change management. Oh, we go through a process. It's bar raised. You know, the security you know, gets a lot of eyes on it. It mm, kind of sounds like a change advisory board to me, but you know, okay, semantics. Um, incident management. We have a single ticketing system across all of Amazon uh, that allows us to sort of page anybody, ticket anyone in. Is that ITIL or is that DevOps? Maybe it's enterprise DevOps at scale across an entire organization. Clicker is there. We go. All right. So enterprise DevOps. It's it's about these values or these principles of embracing and extending new and best practice, whether that comes from our resolute incident management teams that understand LSE management, know how to do large production issue calls when it's spanning multiple DevOps teams, or it's a DevOps team partnering with a compliance team, Carol compliance that we talked about earlier, to codify a um, a control. How many DevOps teams have reached out to compliance and say, hey, I understand you're actually trying to protect the business. You're trying to prevent us from doing something illegal. There's a lot of complicated laws out there. You're trying to ensure that we attain our compliances so we can do business in the market we are, whether we're financial services or health care. Um, there's a lot of rules. And say, hey, you know, could we try codifying this audit? Could I help you? Maybe we could codify. Let's set a goal this year. 20% of the audit, I codify, and you get a compliance report every day. A- and then... Maybe next year we do 40%. And I would bet we can get darn near 80 90 maybe 100% of codified compliance. But I do think it's unlikely that the compliance team will come to the DevOps team and say, hey, can you DevOps compliance for me? Right? It's going to have to drive a culture of inclusion. And it's going to include legacy apps. And it's going to include deep partnership with these different business teams from security, compliance, governance, finance, you know, networking, access management, whatever those teams are, whatever your organizational structure is, you're gonna to have to partner with them. And the DevOps teams in many ways are gonna to need to lead that conversation, which means your immediate business value creation may get slightly delayed and you're gonna to need to bring in those other teams and eventually you're gonna get faster, better, cheaper, more value delivered for the business as a result of those partnerships that you build through your culture of inclusion. And as a result, in-source value creation, outsource, uh, undifferentiated heavy lifting, or undifferentiated business value creation. Don't go invent a pager system. Don't go invent a ticketing system. We can easily bring those in. We can bring process in. We can bring process expertise in. But then build that value internally for your businesses. So I like to use these operating model diagrams, and and I would love to leave these with you. So if I could sort of leave a thought with you from my portion of the talk, think about these four by four diagrams. Um, So vertically, I divide design and engineering from operations. Horizontally, I divide application layer from the infrastructure layer. And sure, we could debate for an hour or so of what fits in what box. That's not the point. The idea is to make this very simple. It helps you answer a question of who does what. And so we have a tale of three operating models. Of course, we could all define many more. We could draw these little four square diagrams for a while thinking about who's gonna do what and is it up to the patched operating system or is it the patched middleware? Who's gonna patch JBoss? Like we could debate that. And maybe it's a DevOps team and you're all the way on the left-hand side. And one team's doing everything. If you're coming from a startup, those folks that raised their hands that were suggesting they're fully implemented on DevOps, they're probably farther uh, over on the side. They've got teams that are doing everything. And then over on the right-hand side are your more traditional IT systems. Sometimes compliance drives you to a fully divided four-square model. Um, But you've taken the time to think, okay, I'm gonna have cloud engineering. Those are my architects that are gonna kind of develop pattern sets that are deployable by application development teams that will then be operated by different application (laughs) operations teams. Think for a second about ERP, where there's sometimes regulatory mandates. The developer can't touch production. And there's laws. And those laws aren't going to change tomorrow. There's reasons to do a traditional IT operating model. Maybe your colo still operates that way. Maybe your data center still operates that way. And then, of course, we mentioned DevOps. And then what you start to find is there's this middle model. And, and my hope is a lot of this middle model resonates with several folks doing DevOps today in the enterprise. They've, Said, okay, networking team, you're networking experts. You're still very valuable. You know, you got the guys with the the Juniper logos at the top of the resume. Cloud is not going to disrupt their job. It's so valuable to have networking professionals. They just need to learn cloud technologies, AWS VPCs, so that they can configure and support a fleet of accounts. And that would go into that bottom layer. And governance and security remember those Active Directory. Uh, Policies. We could actually be running uh, the AWS managed Active Directory service, and that could be a way of extending our data plane access management system into the cloud. And we can partner with compliance. And while we still may need to do audits, we can codify a large portion of them. We can reduce those burden on the development teams. So hopefully you take away these four-square models. I'd encourage you all, it's kind of like if you've ever seen the business model canvas, just take a minute with your team and say, really, who's doing what? And is the right person in the right box is the model that we're going after for our IT transformation? Are we getting the business results we want from who does what? Are we able to effectively outsource uh, low business value, heavy lift? Um, Are we pulling in the right tools? Think about people, process, and tools, but it starts with people. And you can use these four-square diagrams to think through that. So given that you sort of have a common understanding of what we believe enterprise DevOps is, uh, we see a lot of patterns of efficiency of customers consuming enterprise DevOps. So Ajit's going to share some of those with you, and then we'll talk about our customer use cases.
1: One the thing that <clears throat> I really like about the middle bucket that you saw earlier uh, in the slide operating models, almost every efficient DevOps team inherently, uh, when they achieve efficiency, they fall back into the middle tier, uh, where they have subject matter expertise that are allowing them to scale the model, enable the teams, and really gain to the next level of efficiency. The full-stack engineering term that we hear a lot in DevOps world, uh, that's that's a... uh, I haven't seen any true uh, enterprise going into that right model, neither in startups, I've never seen that. Uh, But when they reach that place, they retrain our teams, and they come back to the middle tier. But let's look into uh, patterns of efficiencies. Now, when we talk about DevOps, the most important thing is We all know what DevOps is. We all know the fundamentals of it. But how do you scale? Are there patterns that will help you gain gain efficiency? Are there patterns that will help you get ahead and implement it in a way that will stick there for a little bit longer? So let's just dive straight into it. But before that, some of those uh, things on the screen, you might be familiar with it. When we don't do well, If you're not mindful of implementing DevOps in an efficient way, DevOps has a likely chance of going wrong. And many times uh, we see that DevOps has become pseudo ops, meaning that you have a DevOps team that's sitting between developers and operations, and they're doing something in between, uh, and uh, basically it's, it's, it's another pattern of inefficiency. The second is it becomes a separate SRE team. In that case, neither operations is responsible for taking a reliability, neither developers. And then we create a new pseudo DevOps team again. We have also seen uh, DevOps has a completely brand new team. One of the most honest conversation I've had was sitting in a customer and asking, why do you want to go DevOps? Uh, There were some members of the team that really wanted, we want to become DevOps engineer. I said, what's stopping you? Well, we are not getting our title, DevOps, <laughs> in our title. I so why do you want it? Well, it pays us more, so thank you. That does <laughs> seems like a market fact, but far from reality. Uh, and then many times we think DevOps is taking a step back. We'll have to do so many processes, retool everything. That will slow us down. Uh, and uh, again, I think sometimes you have to take a step back to uh, take a bigger step. And the last one is doing DevOps diluted, the governance, security and risk portfolio. There is no truth to it. If you do do it well, it should actually strengthen, not weaken it. So with those, let's see with the patterns of efficiency, how do we correct it? My favorite and number one is enablement and repeatability. In DevOps, everything that you do ask, can I scale it out to the rest of the organization? Can I rinse and repeat it? Meaning, How do I create templates, how do I create tools that are self-service, that can be applied? That's how you scale. If you have a DevOps team and they are ninjas and they they are the only ones who know it, you're not gonna scale. So it's all about enablement and repeatability. If you have a small tiger team or cloud center of excellence or pilot teams, uh, whatever you wanna call it, Call them, but make sure their goals are to create something that can enable the rest of the organization, rest of the teams, and they are not the only ones who know how, how it works. Number two is speed. With speed, how many times you hear that, well, we are doing 100 deployments and 80 of them come back with the failures? Since we started doing CICD, our number of incidents that we get from the field has tripled. That's a very likely scenario, again, if you're not careful about what you're adding speed to. If you, ha- if you don't have a good pattern, and you add more speed to it, guess what? You're going you're to fall into pitfalls, into pits uh, more often. So before you think about speed, think guardrails. And guardrails are, is more like a phenomenon, it's a concept where you still allow your teams to have a little bit boundary and experimentation without it, without killing their creativity, but still have a way where if they are going too far on the anti-patterns, you block it. You block them from falling in the cliff and dying. So uh, if that happens, they will never be able to experiment again. So remember, uh, speed is what we are after. But without guardrails, we all are going to fall off the cliff. And that requires you to have understanding on patterns that you want to invest in, and really blocking anti-patterns. Third is inclusiveness. Uh, from my own experience, if there was a the biggest mistake that I made in uh, my career path is the inclusiveness. I did not include everyone when I was doing DevOps transformation. I had a small team we, in 2013, I was at admins.com, we did all in migration, uh, very successful months ahead of time for uh, less money. Everything was fantastic. What how was many, wrong uh, was...
0: How many uh, rules did you op- uh, automate for Carol? Uh,
1: I'm not talking about ITIL. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, the, the worst thing I did there was we, had, we were a small team that migrated everything, we shut down our data centers. We failed to include rest of the organization. So all the time that I gained with my teams on finishing it early, rest of the time that we were in doing, training for rest of the team members and how it works. Uh, I failed in doing many other things. For example, it's very likely that as a part of DevOps transformation, you're conveniently forgetting about your finance team, your compliance team, your security team. I did all those mistakes uh, and went back and retrofitted. So really, uh, inclusiveness is something that you want to start doing from day one. Include everyone, and everyone will eventually understand what it means for them. Focus on differentiating factors. That goes along with inclusiveness. As you start to include everyone, are you really gonna go and ask your finance team to write some bunch of Selenium test or some test NG or whatever you, uh, you, you are using? Not really. Allow them to focus on what they bring on the table. They bring in built-in core knowledge about finance, compliance, or other things. And like Mike was saying, how many DevOps people go and talk to the support functions in the organization, ask, hey, let me understand what you do and let me create automation for you so you, uh, you can focus on things that matters. Uh, so not only you focus on what you bring out the best, but allow others to do that as well. Last but not the least, but not the last for today, is built-in. And built-in goes much deeper than I can put on a slide. Built-in architecture for operability, built-in security, compliance, risk, governance, visibility, observability, Built in everything sooner. If you don't do it, the only option is bolt on. And when you do bolt on, we know things don't scale. We know that's when we have to go take a fork and do another uh, journey. That's when you have to include other team members and you have to depend on them. But if you start to plan things much ahead of time by inclusiveness, also meant include in their design. Think about those concerns and include them in your guardrails. So built in, built in. And that would be the biggest message if I want to talk today, is built in for everything that you want to operate to. Now, if you do it well, then wonderful things will happen. Not only are you going to scale, you are going to learn, but you are also going to teach and enable the rest of the organization. By doing built in things, by building things in from beginning, you are going to empower and establish accountability from get go. The biggest advantage you're going to get by guardrails is standardization. That's how you will scale. Standardization helps scaling and also helps in finding anti-patterns. And last is built-in, instead of really falling into diluting your security posture. So those are the five patterns I want to talk about. And with that, I think I'm going to bring in Mike back again.
0: Thank you. All right. Thanks, Ajit. And I think, you know, one of the things to take away from those patterns, right, is we we had 10 minutes to explain that to you. Um, You're going to need to go deeper on all of these things. You're going to need to investigate these technologies and hopefully some of these patterns you're already using today. So I'd like to welcome to the stage Steve Day, uh, who is the Executive General Manager of Infrastructure, Cloud, and Workplace at the National Australia Bank, NAB. Um, Steve, let's do a practical exercise in enterprise DevOps. because. The wonderful uh, host here putting on the conference for us gave us these chairs on a stage. These are sort of our guide rails. We're to put them up here. So we're gonna DevOps <laughs> our, our talk. Right. Yeah, exactly. We have some guide rails. Um, here we are. Okay. All right. That's Steve. Um, so Steve. Uh... It's a young Steve. <laughs> Indeed it is. Yeah, you, you put on a little, a little facial hair. All right. Steve is going to tell us how uh, the team at the National Australia Bank are putting uh, enterprise DevOps to work. Um, So first, Steve, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you're doing at NAB today?
2: Sure, so I run uh, cloud and infrastructure for National Australia Bank, which is one of the big banks uh, in Australia. Uh, It's about 150 years old, very conservative organization. Um, And our IT over the years has become a bit staid. What we did is about 10 years ago, we outsourced pretty much all of our infrastructure. Um, Put an outsourcer out there, and for the first couple of years it worked pretty well. And even if I look at it today, every KPI is green. But everyone hates the situation, right? Because we've lost our ability to innovate. Uh, When you have to do a statement of work and negotiate prices for absolutely anything and nothing comes back under a million dollars and probably six months to implement that is a real barrier to innovation which has sort of stopped us so we've embarked on this this cloud journey
0: sure yeah jeff bezos often says when the data doesn't match the anecdotes the anecdotes are probably right and so if they say it's not working maybe it's not so, NAB has it's just not. been in the news uh, announcing you're moving
2: 35% of your applications to the cloud.
0: Uh, what's driving this strategy?
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's um, not so much about the number, but it's about the fact that we need to get our outsourcing right, right? So, we've outsourced everything, and we've lost this uh, ability to, to innovate. So, we, we looked at it, and said, well, cloud is actually good, public cloud in particular, because it allows us to outsource the stuff that really doesn't matter. Right, up to the hypervisor, nothing there you know, allows you to uh, innovate pretty much. And so we can then insource everything above that um, and create platforms that will enable our application teams to create really cool applications and things that do matter to customers.
0: Great. Yeah. So, so uh, AWS uh, has been uh, offering a migration acceleration program. We kind of call it the 50 in 50, as, as you mentioned, right? And again, the, the number matters a little bit less. Uh, but why was this a good option for
2: NAB? Yeah, well, we actually did the, the 30 in 50, because 50 was a bit ambitious for us. Um, but yeah, it was really important, because um, it enabled us to change our thinking, and rather than creating all of these stage gate processes to implement something, this was the first time we could really look at something as you know, the formation of a combined team that had an imperative to get these applications implemented within 50 days, uh, and we would then um, get everyone together, work on that together, and we actually turned what a lot of people thought was impossible into something that was pretty amazing
0: yeah i think that just looking at the graph is is pretty telling and it might be hard to see in the back but the majority of the applications were moved in the later phases uh, of the thing. Was there any escalations? Did you? I, I was. There, of
2: the course, time. there were. Right. You, <laughs> you can't create this without a lot of tension within the organisation, a lot of pushing, a lot of escalations, a lot of removing red tape, of challenging existing processes and and, and thought processes, uh, to to actually make it happen. But we got there, and it it, it was indeed really indeed, the right thing. Yeah, yeah, it was
0: a special time, I think, for both Steve and I.
2: Yeah. Uh, So so what did you learn?
0: What were your big learnings, bigger than just, you know, cutting that red tape?
2: Yeah, so what we learned was this finally gave us the ability to actually do uh, enterprise DevOps. We were able to create a platform that had guardrails built in but were invisible to the application team. So as they were migrating, as long as they didn't actually break any of the compliance rules, they didn't even know they were there. Um, they were able to turn up these, these new landing zones, as we call them, extremely quickly, deploy their apps, and if everything was you know, kosher and met all of our compliance rules, it just happened really quickly, and that's why we were able to meet that, that 50-day target.
0: Especially with uh, legacy applications that have been running. You know, they would already been compliant, right? So, so moving them to cloud shouldn't... Shouldn't all of a sudden make them non compliant. Well,
2: we did stuff. find some cases where we had some stuff that had been non compliant for a long time that but when you we moved know. it, right. we didn't know and we moved it in and we discovered areas of non compliance. So, so, from that, that data perspective, and what was the
0: better. cloud can give you, and just the fact that you're moving something causes you to, to take a, a more strict eye to it.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Sure. So, um, you know, obviously, a, a challenge of doing 30 applications in 50 days without a large technical staff. Um, you know, how did you just, out of the gate, able to sort of create those landing zones and, and support that from a technical perspective?
2: Yeah, so as I, as I mentioned before, we'd outsourced everything. We had no technical capability internally in our infrastructure teams. Um, in fact, we're still struggling to, to build that up. It's hard to get cloud people. It's hard to train them uh, at scale and very fast. So what we were able to do is leverage a service from, um, from AWS called AMS. Amazon Managed Services. And that gave us this platform out of the gate that had been designed by AWS, uh, enabled us to send APIs to the, this service to just tell it to build a predefined landing zone that had been uh, checked off by as best practice with all of the compliance tools that are best practice to use from um, AWS. And what that also gave us is some compliance out of the gate. We got ISO, we got PCI, We got a lot of Sarbanes-Oxley compliance. Straight off the bat, we didn't have to do all that, and we didn't need to build huge teams that were capable of deploying these platforms before we got started. But having said that, it's a strategy, it's training wheels for us, right? We fully intend to wind that back after a couple of years and operate it ourselves, after we've learned what best practice really is, and and we've learned it from the experts.
0: Sure, yeah, we talk about that a lot, as experience-based learning, right? So if you're actually doing something, Versus whiteboarding out what a migration might look like, uh, you actually get those learnings. You start building those skills to enable the insourcing of, of those value creating teams. Yeah, sure. Um, so, um, what were some challenges of integrating your operating model? Right. So you've got like all this, you know, sort of on-prem, you know, your legacy operating model that you spoke about and now you've got these new landing zones that you're bringing out, a very high velocity, 50 days. Like what are some of the things you learned along the way as it relates to operating model integration?
2: Well, what we learned is we had to really integrate it into our processes, so there's a lot of, um, you know, we were under a lot of pressure to record everything we were doing and also make it very easy for our application teams. So the biggest part of this process was integrating it to our ITSM, which is ServiceNow, And that allowed us to, or allowed the application teams to go into a a service catalog in ServiceNow, select the landing zone. That would be deployed within minutes. It would already have all of the continuous compliance running to make sure that the guardrails were there. The application teams could move at pace and everything they did was then um, recorded in our CMDB. So it gave us all of the the compliance that a, a large enterprise needs. But it also gave us a speed and agility that, you know, is the promise of Enterprise DevOps.
0: Yeah. Sort of bridge those two operating models. Well, Steve, yeah. thanks a lot for talking about your use case. Thank you. Um, we shall uh, turn it over to Jason.
1: Thank you, Mike and Steve. Oh, that was fantastic. Excellent. To introduce Excellent. Jason. Thanks, Steve. I would like to bring, bring up Jason Cobb from Fidelity. Jason has fantastic use case and a story on how they turned around uh, on Fidelity. Uh, things there. We talked about a bunch of five patterns, and something that Jason at Fidelity and his team did It's some very different and very innovative as well. Uh, let's talk about it. So Jason, uh, first of all, welcome, and tell us about a little bit about yourself, what your role is at Fidelity and what you do. Sure. Sure, Jit.
3: So, first of all, Rocco, thanks for this uh, beautiful photo of me that you have. Uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> thanks for pulling that from LinkedIn. Um, so, my name is Jason Cao. I'm a director of security architecture at Fidelity Investments, where my team and I focus on building uh, security tooling, security infrastructure, and building basically the enablement um, behind getting our development teams out to cloud quickly and securely.
1: So, uh, I, I remember uh, the idea of Enterprise DevOps resonated with you, uh, and you started to learn more about it. What was in it particularly that attracted your attention?
3: Yes, Ajit. So, uh, I'm actually going to rewind a few years back to um, a couple years before, and one of the things that we've seen a lot at Fidelity, especially in security, is something that I like to call security by checklist. Um, So I know uh, Mike talked about this earlier, right? He talked about this list. I think um, Carol, right, had this list of 75. Um, So what you'll see is basically um, a development team develops, 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 go through their software development lifecycle, and then they're like, okay, we're ready to go to a higher environment, and then they bring it to the security team, the compliance team, the audit team, and they say, here's a list of things that you must meet, like a grocery list, and you know, um, as long as you get a check in all of them, you're free to go to prod. Um, the problem with this is, A, um, it's cumbersome. B, right, it's slow. Three, um, or C, I should say, uh, it's ineffective. And it's a point in time thing for compliance, for security. And that's not what we want. right? And we want to really get to the model of embedding security within um, our development teams. And so this is a repeat slide from what Mike showed earlier, and I think it really resonates because on the left, right, you have your traditional IT. You have a large enterprise like Fidelity, which has a lot of different groups. And on the right, you have this perception of DevOps where you have a jack of all trades, master of none, where they do everything. And what we've done is my group, actually, within our organization, is a center of excellence, a security center of excellence. So, what we do is we provide the right tooling necessary to automate some of these tasks, these simpler tasks. And the more complex ones, we actually sit and consult. And I know some of the guys in the audience are from um, Fidelity as well. And we actually consult and sit with these development teams to make sure that they can do, and we can make sure that those complex security issues are solved correctly.
1: So uh, help me understand, typically in a large-scale uh, organization like yours, and then there's a ITIL and DevOps and old way of doing things, uh, typically you run into conflicts. Uh, was that also at play uh, for you?
3: So that was Ajit. One of the things that we noticed is when we first started kind of going along with this mindset of DevOps, you hear things like operating at the speed of DevOps, operating at the velocity of DevOps, the agility, right? All these buzzwords about just speed in general. Um, And that's the original mindset was, how do we migrate to cloud? How do we develop in cloud quickly? And then we actually changed that where we had a mindset of how do we not just migrate to cloud quickly, but how do we migrate to cloud quickly and securely with the right guardrails in place?
1: So did you have to go out to your DevOps team, like we were suggesting, or you and they came to you?
3: We've, we've had a couple um, interesting discussions. And the interesting thing right, is that we're, we're in the center of excellence within a development organization. So we can sit with them and basically bridge the gap and say, hey, we understand what you're trying to do. We understand the value add. But what we're really trying to do is make sure it's not just quick, but secure, because that's what we're all about, It's that culture of inclusion that you talked about earlier.
1: So we were also talking about how do you scale it out. Now, your team was center of excellence. Uh, did you have other challenges? Like, how, did, how do you scale it to the rest of the organization? Otherwise, you would ran, land up pretty much where I landed up. Is yeah. Only my team knew how to do it.
3: Definitely. So we have a few challenges. And actually, I want to do an ASA audience here. So how many of you guys, um, raise a show of hands, right, had to travel or fly into Vegas for reInvent? OK, that's a lot of you. So how many of you guys actually had to go through airport security to get to reInvent? Hopefully the same amount of hands. I'm actually going to do one better. So, I'm going to do, do something different. I know what, by a show of hands, how many of you guys are at the Venetian today? Should be all of you. If you're not, <laughs> questions there. So when you walked in the Venetian, right, there's security, there's a line there, right? So let me ask you this. How many of you guys saw that as a roadblock, a minor inconvenience in your way? And for airport security, right, did you have to take off your belt, take off your shoes, you know, take out five laptops that you decided to bring to reInvent, or like the seven portable battery chargers that you guys brought? How many of you guys saw that as a nuisance? A fair amount of you, right? And that's not the point right the point is security is not a roadblock Um, i'm I'm sure you guys have examples of where a security team comes to you that list of 75 that mike brought up right they come to us a development team will come to us and say okay how do i solve the easiest ones how do i get back out to production or you know show me the quickest fix don't show me like the real crux of the problem that's what we're trying to solve that security is trying to help and we're trying to you know security and development are trying to work together to get to the same place
1: that's fantastic. Uh, what you told me is resonating with me a lot. Is you not only created uh, a list for low-hanging fruit, uh, you automated them and you implemented into templates. Huh. So that's that's fantastic. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, other. Uh, how did you scale it out?
3: So one of the things we noticed, right, is we can either embed, there are a couple different options. We can embed security personnel within development teams, um, but the problem is, you know, your security group is a, a center of basically subject matter experts. And actually, a couple months ago, I talked to one of my colleagues in UXD, user experience and design, and she mentioned, like, well, hey, how do I get, you know, I don't have enough resources to spread across all these Different dev teams also don't have enough resources where, you know, if they're working on these, they can't focus on what they're really meant to focus on, right? Which is true hard UXD. Um, And one of the things that really resonated is, you know, how do we actually get security to scale? and that's by building automation, building the right tools and frameworks, which we'll talk about later, um, and then basically letting the security center of excellence focus on the hard problems, or right? the ones that really matter, the ones that are differentiators. And this solves two things, right? One is it helps us scale, and the second one is it helps us basically say, okay, the subject matter experts should be focusing on the hard problems, right the hard security problems that most people can't solve, right that you want these security experts to solve, and that's the second thing it solves for.
1: So in that, uh, are there technology-specific uh, implementations that you did that you help you achieve these?
3: Yeah, so we have a lot of security tools in our toolbox. Um, we started with a detective suite and a remediation suite, right? So I'm sure you guys have seen if your instance is out of date or out of, you know, compliance, you, you whack it and turn it off. Um, that, that's part of our detective and remediation suite, right? We have detective controls on modern scanner environments. We have remediation controls to address those issues as needed. Um, what we've actually done is we've added preventative controls that we can actually put in the pipeline. Whether well, CI/CD, you can run it locally, such as static scanning on your CloudFormation, um, you know, dynamic scanner, some, any testing you can run, right? And this is shifting left and earlier in the development cycle. And what we do here is we identify security problems earlier than Dev cycle, and basically what we do is reduce the time to value that it takes because previously, right? And Mike and I were chatting about this earlier. A developer would go through, they get hit with that 75 list. Um, from Carol, and they have no idea what's the problem, right? They don't know. It's been months since they developed on that. They have no idea where it's from. But you know, by shifting left and bringing in these preventive controls and saying, okay, you can scan right away, you can identify those problems, and they're fresh in your mind, too.
1: Love it. So you started building in a lot of things ahead of time in yep. your CI-CD pipeline. What you also mentioned is pretty interesting, is security in the pipeline and security of the pipeline front. Right. Great job on that. So. Uh, are there other challenges on your priority list that you're working through?
3: Um, yeah, so um, some of the other challenges we face, right, is well, one is how do we shift earlier in the DevOps cycle um, is basically looking at one of our tools, right, and we've seen this as an anti-pattern. Um, we use a lot of cloud formation for our infrastructure. And one of the th- things we've seen is for things that are, I think, rather important, right, so identity and access management, networking components like that, um, sometimes teams will build separate or central teams will build separate APIs or separate pipelines to go through. So by doing that, what it does is segments a dev experience, and it forces people to learn different tools. One of the other tools that we use to solve some of these challenges is AWS Service Catalog. right? And we can layer that on top of existing AWS products, existing AWS CloudFormation, and still allow developers to push out with CloudFormation. And that gives them a very, um, not simple, but less complex experience when they develop. And we don't want to introduce more complexity when you go through and try to figure out development, ops or development cycles.
1: Excellent. We are literally on time. So uh, if you can talk about what, what's next now that you have achieved this place.
3: Yeah. So at Fidelity, our journey is really never complete, right? We've done a little bit of automation. Um, we'd like to continue that automation so that we can kind of continue our journey. Um, we'd like to see basically you know, how what security can we truly automate um, as our workloads grow larger and more complex, right? the security around those becomes more complex as well. So to continue our journey, we want to enable our teams to not just move quickly, but to really move quickly and securely to cloud.
1: Awesome, well, thank you so much for coming down and really sharing learnings. Uh, I hope uh, our uh, attendees here will get to learn more about uh, in coming days as well. Sure, thanks, Ajit. Cool, thank you.
0: Thank you, Jason. All right. So thanks so much for attending. Uh, again, uh, I'm Michael Eshu, and this is Ajit. Yep. Is your last
1: name? Ajit Dargalkar.
0: I still haven't said it right. <laughs> um, just to tease some other things we're, we're up to, there you go. Um, we're going to do Enterprise DevOps begin with production ready migration. One went this morning. We're going to do another tomorrow morning. So it'll be with the AMS GM John Brigden as well as um, George Watts, somebody from our professional services operations integration practice, and Steve talking a little bit more deeply about the NAB 30 and 50. Um, We'll also repeat this talk. If you want a colleague to come and have a look at it, please invite them to come and see us. Same time tomorrow, uh, different place. Check the app for the app update. And of course, please complete the session survey. We'd very much appreciate uh, you sharing with us how you enjoyed the talk today. Thanks so much for coming. We'll be up front if you want to uh, chat.
1: Thank you, guys.